Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be learning together Re'ei Shishi, the sixth Aliyah in Pasha's Re'ei. Our Aliyah is 18 Sukkim long, running from Perik Tezvel, Pasuk Alatu, Yud Ches. And the topic of our Aliyah is Shmita and Loans. Let's take a look at our Aliyah. There's three basic sections. The first one talks about Shmita and Loans in general. We're told that at the end of the seventh year, or um, at, the, at the seventh year, it's a debate in the Mepharshim, you make a Shemitah and the creditors must relinquish their debts against their brothers. It's interesting to note that the word Shemitah comes to the word in this Aliyah, Shamot, which means to release, release those debts. And that's what, what the word actually means. One may not pressure one's brother to pay a debt, but one may pressurize and should pressurize, it sounds like, the Gentile to pay their debts. But, but there should be no pure There will not be poor people among you because Hashem will bless you if you listen to the commandments. In such a case, you will loan to many nations and they will not, and you will not borrow, borrow from them. That's the first section. Now we hear a discussion about poor people. So Hashem then says, if there will be impoverished people among you, don't be stingy and close your hand to them. Rather, open up, open your hands and loan them what they need and don't have an evil thought in your heart to say, look, the Schmitter year is coming. I know the debts are going to be cancelled. I'm not going to lend to them because it's too close. The risk is too high. Rather, you should lend to them even if there's a risk and, uh, and uh, Hashem will bless you because there will never... There's not going to ever be a situation where there are not poor people among the land. And finally, we hear in the last section of the Aliyah, also related to Schmitter, about the Hebrew and bondsman and bondswoman that when your brother or sister will be sold to you as a Hebrew bondsman, this is referring to when Basedin will sell them because of their state of, of poverty, they need to be sold to pay off their debts. So they, they, they serve you for six years, which is in the way of paying back their debt, but then they should be sent out in the seventh year. So this is similar to debts. This is the ending of the slavery, which is why this is obviously part of the Aliyah, relating to Shemitah. You need to, when you send them out, also gift them various different parts of your livestock, your possessions when you send them out. And remember that you were slaves in Egypt and Hashem redeemed you. So this is the redemption you're providing for the bondsman who needs a way out to bear, crawl their ladder, their way up against the ladder, again, up the ladder of economic and growth an opportunity in life as well. Don't be sad when they leave, the Torah tells us, because you, rec- they, you received your work and Hashem will bless you for doing this for them. So in a certain sense, it's a foster home for them to repay and to get them back on their feet again. Now, a lot of, a lot of things to think about. First question is, is haven't we told, been told about Shemitah, the seventh year beforehand of the Torah? And the answer is yes, a number of times. But what is being introduced here, the Ramban points out, is not about the land and leaving the land fellow and the work you're supposed to or not supposed to be doing, but rather this is about the loans, which is a different dimension of the experience as well. Now, next question. Is there a command to pressurize non-Jews to, to, to pay their debts? It, sound, it sounds like it's on Nochriti Gos, the Gentile you'll pressurize. Doesn't that get, give credence to the image of the Jew as this you know, money lender and money-centric individual? So Rashi says, well, technically speaking, there is a mitzvah to, uh, to pressurize the, the Gentile to pay their debts, but if you think about it, that's actually the default, which means to say like this. In default loan, loans, there is no waiver at seven years. So we're told is that the, the non-Jew falls into the category of the default. The Jew, who's your brother, who's your sister, is the exception. They are not part of this as well. Meaning in a similar way by when it comes to ribbits, when it comes to interest. Interest is the way of the world. You, you, pay, money, you, you pay money for time. That's why you, you, you pay ribbis. For Jews, you're not allowed to charge um, interest, and that is the exception. So it's not being terribly cruel to a non-Jew, it's being normal. 
in the uh, world called uh, the non-default circumstances as well. The Ramban says, no, there's no actual mitzvah to pressurize a non-Jew to pay their debts. Um, the, the point is, the re, is this is what's called a myth, uh, an isr assay, where the Torah adds another dimension of transgression. So let's say a person were to pressurize their Jewish friend to pay their debts in the Shemitah, thereby transgressing Shemitah. Not only would they transgress a negative commandment, but also the implication of a positive commandment over here as well. That's why it is emphasized. Now, another question. Are there or are they not supposed to be poor people in society? If you look at Aralia, there are three different indications. In You're not going to have poor people. Then in Pasuk Zayin, if there is a poor person from one of your brothers. And then, then in Pasuk Yud Aleph, they're not going to ever cease poor people from among the land. So which is it? So what is the prediction over here? Rashi says, when you do the bidding of Hashem, there'll be no poor people among you. There will be among other nations, but they won't be among you. But when you don't do the bidding of Hashem, then they will be among you. So it's really dependent on you. The Rakhav HaKosh does point out in a footnote on this, that technically speaking, money and economic status is not dependent on zuchus, on one's merit. A person is, is, is given their lot, their economic lot in life, and that's predetermined beforehand. Um, their their zuchus, what they are in charge of is their yiras shaman, the actions they take and how they respond to the cards dealt on the table. But that doesn't necessarily relate specifically to that. To that. So the Arachai Vakarish explains that's true when a person is in the gray zone. But if a person is, is really working and does an exceptional job in their life and has no exceptions to their, their positive performance, then in such a case it does it is possible to impact one's economic prosperity as well in this world. Um, the Kleyako points out that if you read the Pesukim carefully, it may be that there's also a description of the difference between being in Israel and outside of Israel. When it describes, as an example in Pesuk Zayin, when there may be a poor person among you, from one of your brothers, that means to say that in every, fa- like in every village there might be one person. In one, you know, one family there might be one poor person. Um, but when, where that's when you're in Israel, where, so to speak, minimally there's, there, there's poor people around. However, when you're in the diaspora and you're not doing the mitzvah of going to the land of Israel when you possibly have the chance, suggests the Kleyakar, in that case, then there will be many. It'll be regular, there'll be a poor people. It's interesting to, to, as a discussion, the Gomorrah Baba Basra has a fascinating discussion on, on Yudam Ubeis between Atornus Rufus, Tinius Rufus, and, um, and Rabbi Akiva. And so he turns to Rebekah and he says, if your God loves poor people, then why does he not give them their parnasa? I mean, if Hashem loves the impoverished, then let him sustain them. So, uh, um, so Rabbi Akiva says that, that the reason is, is in order that we, meaning to say the people who are not in, uh, on such an economic dire strait, can be saved from, from the netherworld by supporting them. So Tonus Rufus asks him, he says, well, look, let's say the king um, decides to punish a subject of his and he puts them in prison and says, don't feed them. And Zani comes and feeds them and helps them. The king will be very angry because the, the subject is breaking the rules of the kingdom. Rekiva says, well, that's not the apt example. The apt example would be, is that the king punishes his son and says, don't feed his son. And then somebody comes and feeds the son. Yes, it's against the rules of the king, but the king actually is happy that it's his son. He says, we're, we're the children of a god. So that's the, the conversation, which comes down to a very interesting discussion over here. And that is, is that Tonus Rufus essentially looks at it as from the perspective of what we'll call the social welfare dynamic, which is, you know, why there seems to be injustice. How could it be that there are people who are suffering in this world? If God, does, if God really cares about them, let them do something. What Rekiva is saying is, it's not about necessarily them, it's about 
How are we going to correct that? What are we going to do in order to fix this ill in society, this natural ill in society? The bell curve dictates that there'll be people who are below the bread, bread line. Can we shift that? Can we move that percentage smaller and smaller? That's the question that comes up to us, which, which comes back to a fascinating question. You know, today we have a concept called a prusible. What is a prusible? It's a document where a person, whereby a person before the Shemitah year um, will hand over their debts, which would otherwise be cancelled to the Basin. And therefore, the debt of a Basin, which is a entity, a corporation, essentially, the debt is not waived. And therefore, a person can still collect on it as a, as a Shliach Basin, as a continuation of that, of that debt. So it sounds like we just found a loophole. You know, it sounds just like, well, that's Reform Judaism. Well, you know, let's just do it, get it, make it cut, cut a corner, find a loop. That's not the way it works. So if you look carefully, um, at, um, at, at the Rashi in Basra Chav Zainam Al-Alif, it tells us that the reason why Hillel instituted this notion called a prisbal was, and I, and I quote, he says, because of, that people saw that Shemitah waives debts, that he saw that people were transgressing the pro, the, 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 this prohibition in our Aliyah of withholding debts of withholding uh, um, loans to people who needed them. So the concern was not necessarily the recipient, the social welfare aspect of it. It was about the people themselves, the benefactors, not benefacting because of the concern of Shemitah. So he made the prisbal. Now it's interesting if you take a look at the actual way the prisbal works, um, it actually fits very much into the theme of how the Shemitah is supposed to work. If you look at the Pasuk in Pasuk Bayes, it says, this is the way the Shemitah works. Shamoit, remove, call Baal Masha Yodoy, all owner of credit of their hand. Those are all words of power. Right, remove your power, relinquish your power. The principle is exactly that. You're relinquishing your power. You're actually divesting your interest in this loan. You're handing it over to another entity and serve as their messenger to, to collect it, which essentially is doing the same thing, but thereby also also in a state of more humility, also avoiding the concern of not giving a loan. So the concern is not so much about the poor people. God will take care of that um, in, the, in that sense, in the, in the global sense of society. Hashem is concerned about the person who's loaning. Don't be a cruel pe person. Don't be a person who ignores the Torah Mitzvah, which is fascinating. It, just historically speaking, when Margaret Thatcher came to power in England, the Iron Lady, she made many vast sweeping reforms and um, she denationalized a, a lot of things and took, um, took away a lot of welfare, which made a lot of people very upset. But it, it did turn around the economy and in many, many ways. And um, what is interesting is, is that she was almost at a certain point unrivaled. She was able to, to, to succeed to a large degree um, until at a certain point the, the, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury wrote a, a pamphlet called Faith in the City whereby he criticized the Prime Minister for her policies of individualism and saying that the, Bible, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament all talk about the welfare state, the importance of having nets for society. What is interesting is Rabbi Emanuel Jacobowitz, who was then the chief rabbi of England, wrote in response to the Archbishop of Canterbury an article called From Doom to Hope to actually supporting Margaret Thatcher's policies. And one of the things, it's a very long and extensive essay, it's worthwhile reading, but one of the things that he mentions in that essay is that the Torah, the Hebrew Bible's concern uh, for, for all of these things that we see as an example over here about giving debts and so on, uh, giving loans uh, as well, is, um, is not so much for the state of welfare, for the state of those who are impoverished, but more for the, uh, creating a society of morally upstanding human beings, meaning it's the benefactors that we're trying to work on rather than necessarily than the recipients, the beneficiaries, which is a very, very fascinating thing. If everybody was doing this properly, there would no, be, no longer be the need for the beneficiary. That's the, that's the way it should work. Um, but it's not focused on the rights 
of the welfare recipient, but it's rather on their responsibilities of the benefactor. And that seems to be what the Hebrew Bible is talking about, which is just a very, we'll call it, a, um, responsible, evoking idea, which is to be learned from this Aliyah. With this, we close the sixth and fastening Aliyah. Have a wonderful and meaningful day.